All right, thank you there, Brother Keys. I appreciate that so very much. Our text is Matthew chapter 26, verses 7 through 14. You mentioned Ben Bell helping him write that. Uh, Brother Bell actually taught uh, school here for one year in the early 90s, I believe, so, and helped coach, I think, with football or something. And uh, so, and now he's with the Lord. But uh, that, that was good. Appreciate the message and song. All right, our text is Matthew chapter 26, verses 7 through 14. Fake news in Jesus' day. Of course, we have it today as well. People get so negative against others when they have a solution for a problem. Whenever there's a solution, they want to find a problem with it, you know. And uh, it just seems like that's the way it goes today. And yet, um, that's not new. That it's not new at all. So I want you to uh, see something that happened in Jesus' day. And then we're going to make some applications uh, for today. And I want you to see it as well. In verse 7 of Matthew 26, we read this. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for memorial of her. Uh, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, sent into the, uh, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, what will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted for him for thirty pieces of silver. Let's pray. Father, there are things, Lord, that we've coming off that we're coming off a revival meeting, Lord, and obviously many people walk these aisles, and we thank you for that, but Lord, that's just a beginning. I know that right now the devil wants to steal every decision that was made for the Lord. He wants to water it down. He wants to stop it. He wants to do everything he can. So, Lord, I pray that what uh, we're able to preach here tonight will help equip your people to stand against the wiles of the devil as he attempts to defeat the good work that God began. And we'd ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Our text is, speaks of the disciples. Uh, as they're seeing this woman that uses an alabaster box that is worth uh, 300 pence or a laboring man's yearly wage for that day. So this is very expensive ointment. Uh, they believe that it was imported from India. I don't know that, but that's what they say. And I guess whoever they are uh, study that, no. But nonetheless, uh, the disciples are very indignant about it. They said this could have been uh, sold and, and, and for much and given to the poor. A year's wage to help the poor. Boy, that would be a great idea. And so they're just not happy about what could have been. 
and was missed. And isn't it interesting? It was not theirs to give, but we like to tell others how they should give and use their money. They were guessing at her motives. And actually in this text, Jesus is saying her motives. She's done this for my burial. But see, they, they can't guess their motives. They, they're, they're just shooting at it, but they really don't know the motives that Jesus had or that this lady Mary had. And so often that's the way it is. If it's our money, it's nobody's business. If it's someone else's money, we know exactly what they should do. Well, the apostles are all upset. All of them. So how were all the apostles able to get upset? Well, we go to John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, because it supplies us with some more information about this same event and gives some clarification on it. And in John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, we read this. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now, the disciples are upset. We don't read what Lazarus thinks. I've often wondered that. What did Lazarus think? Because in the previous chapter, John chapter 11, Jesus rose him from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. He sees a year's wage of ointment being poured on Jesus' feet and thinking, I died. And my sister didn't do anything for me like that. Now, he probably thought, well, you know, after four days, I wouldn't have stunk so bad if I'd had that on me. You know, but uh, so here they are. They're, they're thinking about this. And, and uh, uh, we don't really know what he thought. But boy, the disciples didn't like it at all. Uh, but it obviously belongs to Mary. It didn't belong to the apostles. It didn't belong to Lazarus. It belongs to Mary. And she has given it to the Lord of her own free will. But I think what happened in chapter 11 of John is, has an impact on that. She's one of those that said, Lord, if he had been here, my brother had not died. But Jesus will raise him from the dead. But Jesus also tells her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Evidently, Mary believed it. She knew that Jesus was going to die because he'd been telling them, and for some reason, this lady, the men are too dumb to catch it, this lady catches it and says, he's going to die, but he's going to raise again in three days. So although these, all the others are missing it, she sees it. And, and, and she, uh, she anoints him with the best that she has, and she gives of her best to the master. And we praise the Lord for that. You see, her motive was not known by the disciples, but they talked anyway. Is that what happens usually when problems arise? People think they know others' motives, but they really don't. So the real reason that the disciples, all of them are upset, is seen there in John chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. 
Judas Iscariot is the one that speaks up. Why couldn't this have been sold? For 300 pence, a whole year's wage of a laboring man, and we could have given that to the poor. Boy, that sounds so righteous and pious and good. So everybody's upset about it. But you see, Judas, actually, in the 12, he has one of the highest positions. He is the treasurer. And so because he has that position, they respect him. They, they, they listen to what he has to say. But his motive is seen in verse 6. He bare what was in the bag. The word bear there has the idea that uh, he was stealing. He was embezzling the funds that would go in there. But how often does a strategically placed word lead us to make conclusions and react emotionally? And you react in ways that later, for which you're sorry, but much of the damage has already been done. In Matthew's text, in verses 14 and 15, it shows Judas's reaction. When Jesus defends this lady, he goes out and he covenants with the high priest what he should do, how, how much money he could get for Jesus' scalp. And so he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. You see, that's what was behind Judas. The Bible tells us that. That's not guessing. That's what the Bible tells us. But Judas was there questioning the motives of Mary and getting everybody else stirred up. Judas is a troublemaker. The disciples acted on fake, misleading news. It sounds right. It sounds pious. And their reaction is not to ask the Lord if this is right. Rather, it's to accuse. Their reaction is in such a manner is they're questioning the integrity. Maybe even of Mary, but especially they may be questioning the integrity of the Lord. Why did you allow this? They're accusing of greed. Now, it is unfortunate that this is prevalent in local churches today. And unfortunately... That's what robs of revival decisions. An evil spirit is a deceiving, accusing spirit, and it hinders the ministry of the local church. And especially in an evil day as what we live today, when God's power is needed more in the local church than ever. You see, it will rob you of decisions of revival that you thought were righteous and were righteous, but people say these things, you hear them, you believe them, and there ends up being a problem. And that's a shame. I want you to think about the ministry, the present ministry of the devil, Satan himself. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, we get a look at it. And the great dragon, and by the way, that is Satan. And the great dragon, which cast out, uh, was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. 
He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. In other words, Satan doesn't let up. And they overcame him. How do you overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. By this, just this one passage we see here, Satan loves to accuse the brethren, and it will kill revival. Satan is identified for us as both an accuser and a deceiver. And once you come across people that name the name of Christ, but you also perceive that they accuse other Christians and they accuse other believers, and many times it'll sound all right. They'll sound right. If you haven't checked it out, you better just stay away from those kind of people. And you'll see that when you are around those people, that's what you hear. Now, the only time to be around those people is to witness to them and try to instruct them in righteousness. And they'll speak authoritatively. It's, it's kind of, you know, it was on the Internet. It must be true. I saw it on Facebook. You know, everything's got to be true on those two areas. So if it's, not, if it's on the Facebook and it was on the Internet, you know that it's true. And, of course, that has... Uh, brought so many down in our day among Christians. And that's a shame. That's a great shame. A second trait of Satan is found in John chapter 8, verse 44. It's very similar. It says, You're of your father the devil, this is Jesus speaking, and the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie... He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, Satan is a liar. He murders the reputation of many. He seeks to murder the fervency for Jesus Christ, for holiness, righteousness, separation from the world, and separation from the Christ. He seeks to murder that. He is a liar. He speaks of his own. He has an agenda, and his agenda is against the local church. Why? Because that's the way Jesus set it up for this age, to work through the local church. So he wants to bring down the local church. And people end up deceiving themselves when they feel they must tell others about all the terrible things. Yet, how many times have they told good things about others? Isn't it interesting we tell more of the bad things than we do the good things? In James chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, that man's religion is vain. Who says that his religion is vain? that has to tell all to try to get others upset and speak authoritatively on the latest gossip? God says their religion is vain. Now think of that. 
God says their religion is vain. These kind of vain people are only religious. They're not edifiers in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the person that will sit back and they'll question the Word of God. They'll cast doubt on God's Word. They'll cast doubt on doctrine. They'll cast doubt on anything that we're trying to do for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the kind. Their religion is vain. They're false. They're deceivers. And the Bible warns us to watch out for that kind. Okay? Now, I've said all that. I want to share with you some attacks of Christians by other Christians that thought they should tell others and their gossip that they thought was right was actually wrong. Now, I know this because I was around for all of them, okay? Dr. Joseph Stowell was a preacher of yesteryear. He fought against the new evangelicalism that was trying to work its way into the Baptist churches of the North. Took a strong stand. Matter of fact, when he was in his 90s, I preached in a Bible conference with him. And so I, I, I got to know him personally and got to know a little bit more about him. But there was a man who wrote in a national magazine and made accusations about him. And he was upset at a fundamental college that had had the man in to speak. Now, what that writer did not know, and I also knew the writer. And, and by the way, that national magazine was not the sword of the Lord, if you're asking that, okay. But... Dr. Stowe has a son, a junior. He has the same name, Dr. Joseph Stowe, but it's junior. He was president of a college that turned new evangelical. Because they had the same name, the writer didn't know that, so he just said, all right, Dr. Stowe, uh, he's a new evangelical, and this fundamental college had him in to speak there. And boy, he really attacked the school as well as Dr. Stowe. I contacted the writer. I says, look, first of all, Dr. Stowe was at that college to dedicate a seminary. In his prayer, he asked God to close it down if it ever becomes new evangelical or liberal. I says, but his son is that way. And that's who you're talking about, but he did not speak there. Well, he, he called me on the phone. He says, what do I do? I says, well, there's not a whole lot you can do, but at least you can do a retraction. You know what? They never printed a retraction. I says, you can check it out. And, and I, I think that he did and found out what I was telling him was true. But here's the problem. If people read an article or hear a Dr. Joseph Stoll Sr. preach later, they will listen with a critical spirit, just like the disciples that night when Judas got them all turned against this lady and eventually Jesus Christ by doing that. So you think about that. And here was somebody that made a, a statement against someone that sounded true, it sounded good, but they did not have the facts, but they went ahead and told it anyway because they 
thought they had. The second one, my wife and I, we were at a meeting in which the main speaker would often stand up and, and he'd say this several times during his sermons and, and he was noted for saying this. He would say, uh, well, glory, that is big. That's big. Well, glory, that's big. And he would say that uh, over and over and a lot of times. And, and, and uh, there's some other things that he said, though, that we didn't care for. But what the speaker did not know is that the room that my wife and I were occupying at night butted up against his room. And the walls were not soundproof. I got up about a little bit after midnight. I was going to the restroom and I could hear it coming right through my wall. I don't know who they were talking about. I don't know. But, you know, gossip has a tone to it. You know what? He did. She. You know, and they'll, they'll you know, that, that emphasis, you know, as they're saying. And they'll always emphasize that person. He. She. Well, you know what? You could hear some of that, but you just could not hear the conversation. I had no idea who they're talking about or anything, but it's after midnight. I can hear them. So I turned around to the wall and I said, well, glory, that's big. <laughs> Do you know what? It got very quiet in that room and there was no noise coming from that room the rest of the night. I don't know who they were talking to, but uh, it got very quiet. Now, what is interesting, the very next day, the speaker, every day he'd come in to where we'd have breakfast and he'd just kind of bounce in and just take over the place. That next day he came in like this, went over and got his breakfast, sat down and ate. Now, I don't know if he knew I was the guy in the other room or not. But it stopped it dead in its tracks. But you see, again... I actually couldn't hear what they were talking about. I just recognized the tone. That should tell you that sin has a tone. And there's a tone that tells us, okay, they're going the wrong direction. But what happens through a thing like that? Because those churches and those people that are gathered there were supposed to be fundamental people, right doctrine, seeking to bring souls to the Savior. But when you divide a house, what does the Lord say would happen? It would fall. He says Satan's not divided, but he wants to divide our house. You see, and so you watch out for that. Always ask yourself, what is the motive of this person in telling me this? Why is it important for them to tell me this? Why do they want to say this? Look. Many of you have made decisions in revival meetings just past. Many have made revival decisions, but also made other decisions this year already. Satan is out to change that as quickly as he can. He doesn't want it to grow to where it becomes very effective. If he can stop it, he will. He'll try. I want to give you a third one because... You will know this name because we have him here. As a matter of fact, we have him coming here again, Brother Greg Neal. You can Google his name and you'll find a place that accuses him of voyeurism. And I've had people come to me about how true that is. 
Uh, they weren't there. They don't know about it, but they believe it's true. They say, there was a video. And, and here's the story. The man came up to me and said, I can't understand why you have him in your church. And by the way, he said, Shelton Smith has preached in that guy's church. And he said, I let, I called the sword of the Lord and let him know how wrong they were and everything else. And he says, if you don't believe me on these things, you can check it out. I said, I will. And I did. And, and we have him coming here in May. He's going to do a series on, on, uh, uh, the emerging church. Very good. Very good at it. But, uh, the reason I'm telling you that is this. There was a camera set up in his office on his desk. A bunch of ladies were in there and they were changing clothes. Now they said, I haven't seen the video, but people said for all the noise that was made, it didn't show what everybody thought it showed, but they were changing clothes. In the video, he comes, he knocks on the door. He goes in and gets some papers from off his desk after they get ready and everything straightened up so he can come in and get his papers and gets them. He walks out and he leaves. Later, this goes to the police. There's great investigations and when it's over, the police says, we believe that he's guilty, but we have no proof. Now, let me tell you what about that. Though. See, there's a lot of the story people don't know. They just believe because it's on the Internet. Yeah, it's got to be true. It's on the Internet. So let me tell you some of the story that's involved there. First, uh, there was a man in the church that did not want Greg Neal to be the pastor after his dad. The man was a man of very high influence in the city. And he was able to get this against him. And they, all they had people coming out of their ears. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm the victim. And they didn't just have the police department's uh, guys that do the uh, lie detectors test. They actually brought in the men, the best in the country from Guantanamo Bay there in Cuba, that, that do that on those Muslim guys that we had down there at that time. They came in. They put him through three different lie detectors tests at different times. And the guy, not only, the guy that was ahead of it, not only wrote a clean bill on it, he told them, this is a man of character. But that's still not the end of the story. Now, one other person tried later, much later, after it all was supposed to be closed, and said, oh, well, he, that's what he was doing on me, too. He said, okay, I'll go down. And he says, I'll take a lie detector's test, but it would be good if she did, too. She didn't, but he did. He passed it. But the main story is this. Yes, he did go in the room. He got some papers out and left. It's the only time he's in there. During that time, he had a baby that was about 10 or 11 months old, a little baby girl. She is there at uh, Mayo Clinic there in the hospital uh, at, in Jacksonville. She'd stopped breathing several times a day. 
the, the hospital because they just couldn't keep personnel with her 24-7. Let the parents sit in there with them and show them how to do things. The little girl did end up dying. Greg was able to lead <clears throat> several souls to the Lord while he was in the hospital. He would only come to the office to get papers to work on things while he was there. He and his wife went through that great trial and hear people over here making a move when they know he is not able to deal with it right away. What happened over a year later, they were remodeling the church and one of the men that worked there that got upset too and he left, they found a cord going from in the remodeling that went from his office through the attic down into Greg's office that would have been the cord for the camera. I don't believe that the guy was trying to look himself. I think they were trying to set him up. But that's, I don't know that for sure, okay? But what I'm saying is this. A lot of people made a lot of statements. Now, every time I see that preacher that came to me about all that, and I do see him, I see him a couple times a year, he'll just kind of put his head down and walk by and hardly talk to him. I've got to stop him to talk to him. Because Dr. Smith also checked it out as I checked it out, and he found out the truth. And Dr. Smith, uh, he was a little more direct with him than I was. But again, there's something that was a lie, but it sounded good because they had a video on the surface and knew not what was behind it. But it was on the Internet, so it had to be true. Isn't it interesting there are people that will believe the Internet before they'll believe the Word of God? I mean, they'll believe the Internet. It, well, it could have been this, but you say, well, you know what the Bible says? Well, you know, I, I mean, this is a different age that we live in. Yes, the age is more corrupt. The Bible is even more right. Okay. Uh, again, I found that people who are faithful to church, not sitting back looking to see uh, if they can find anything wrong, they don't sit around looking like they were weaned on a pickle. They go out on visitation. They encourage their brethren. They're not the people doing that. I, I shouldn't tell this, but I had I had some things going around a couple of years ago. Eb said, "Man, I'm, I, I have all these things being said to us." And they asked me about them. I told them the I told them the whole story, the whole truth, and everything else. And I liked what they said. Said that's what we thought, but since they're saying it, we thought we'd just come find out from you. They handled it biblically. They did it biblically. They didn't form an opinion before they came. They come to find out. Now, look, I've had people from over 30-some-odd years ago, even before I came here, that have called me in the last year and, and apologized. But I've also had people that have said, did things in the last year or two that have called me and apologized. And that's great. I'm glad to get things right with God. But look at the damage that was done in that. What a shame. What a shame. And see, that's what Satan tries to do. I'm not blaming people right now. I'm looking, telling you, 
Watch out the devil tries to do that. And look, some people have a weakness for alcohol, some for uh, drugs, and just as harmful, just as death-giving is that tongue that comes in and destroys churches because that quenches the fire of evangelism and revival. Now, I will tell you too that there's been days that I've had to call people and say I was wrong. I gave you some examples though to help you to see that some good men have been falsely accused just like Mary. And it can happen with you. It can happen with any of us. Um, Satan uses slander, gossip, sowing discord in order to divide churches. Why? Because it makes them ineffective. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give unto you. That put it on the level of the Ten Commandments. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Our testimony to the world is to be the love that we have for each other in the church. Wow. So, when I get down on people in the church, when I get angry at people at the church, and when I start running down people in the church, I am helping the devil 100%. And the problem is that when we do that, we're deceived, we're thinking we're right. Just like these disciples, those 12 men, those, all 12 men thought they were right. And they were so wrong. They were so wrong. Satan with social media pleasures tries to eliminate preaching against sin and for righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all matter of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Yes, they increase your reward by doing that. But our heart still has to hurt for the people they've hurt. Our hearts have to hurt for the people that have been deceived by that kind of a person. Look, I grew up in a pastor's home. So I grew up most of my life knowing while I was growing up is that that's what happens. People accuse the preacher. I decided I was going to try to try change that, and it got worse. Okay. That happens. That's a part of it. That's just a part of the ministry. But if you focus on that part of the ministry, you're going to be a miserable person. You've got to focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on his word. You see, that's where victory is. That's where the truth is. Just keep your focus on him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words, that at my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that be not laid 
to their charge. Wow. He said, I'm praying God that he would not, he, he's calling it sin. Land it to their charge would mean a loss of reward in heaven for those Christians. You can't lose reward if you don't have it. The Lord has this reward for standing. You don't stand, then you lose a reward. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And, of course, that lion is that old devil who goes about seeking whom he may devour. Never speak till you've gone to those that you've heard gossip about and get their side of it. Now look, somebody gossips about you and someone comes to you and they ask you, they'll believe the gossip so much, they'll be questioning you. They'll, they'll, they'll question you like you're lying. That's fine. At least they came to you and you told the truth. But don't give up on the truth. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14 having done all to stand. Put on the whole armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People that are gossiping about you are not your enemies. They're deceived. They're deceived people. They're weak Christians. They're vain Christians. But they're not the ones you're fighting against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, those are divisions of devils, of Satan's fallen angels that work together against the local church, against Christians. And my friend, you do all to stand, but after you do all to stand, then you withstand because the devil, after you take your stand, is going to do a counterattack and you've got to withstand. Withstand his attack. Revival decisions can be killed just as quickly as they were made. And people who are killing them will think that they're righteous and justified in doing so. Ours is having done all to stand. Stand and withstand. I don't know what decisions you made in your heart during these meetings I really don't that's not important because that decision is between you and God and it should grow mature and develop in your life to make you a stronger individual believer and a stronger Christian in the body of Christ what I've done tonight is just to warn you of what can rob you of those decisions Make it worse than before. And then number two, to remind you to daily stand and look unto Jesus. Just daily stand, look unto Jesus. Our worldview lesson today, the Bible can be trusted. So let it guide you every step of the way. It can be trusted. It will guide you. It has an answer for everything the devil has to throw at us. Just get to know him so well that you can stand 
in the evil day. And by the way, we're there. Stand. Let's bow our heads, please.